The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 353. I have a special guest joining me tonight. I got to know him over the PitchCon segment that we did together, that uh, it was myself and this gentleman and a couple other awesome guys in the fantasy industry talking about uh, breakout players and how we uh, viewed that. So go check that out on the Pitcher List YouTube page. If you want to go check that, uh, get see who we liked in that one, you can find his work at PitcherList.com, Bleacher Creature Yankees podcast. On Twitter at Greenfield Max eighteen Max, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we uh, we're gonna talk about uh, a couple of those guys that we mentioned in that breakout panel because one of them's having a pretty good spring. Yes, 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 he is. I'm pretty sure I remember <laughs> who you're talking about now. But a pretty yes. darn good spring. So um, yeah, that'll be a fun one to talk about. So um, it'll be interesting. We're talking some recent news, like we always do on the show. Some interesting players that. Uh, 
like when I, when I set my hey, behind the scenes here, when I set my outline a lot, I go and stalk the guest Twitter feed and yeah. I see who they like and who they're talking about. So yeah, I highlighted some names there. We're talking some spring training standouts, see where the day takes us. We have some good listener questions to talk about. Yes. But before before we do all that, plug away everything you're doing. Let everybody know where they I, I mentioned where they can find you, but talk a little more. Yes. So uh my Twitter handle is at GreenfieldMax18. I'm a currently a writer for Pitcher List. I have an article come out pretty much every week on Fridays. Uh, this week, we will get into you know, the topic of what this week's article is in a bit. Uh, but, you know, usually I'm writing mainly about pitching. That's most of my forte and my knowledge is more in the pitching than the hitting realm. But I've been doing some hitting analysis. Last week, I did a couple players who could have bounced back years. Um, and, you know, I've just been kind of trying to find guys that, I think people are maybe ignoring in fantasy drafts that I think could still have some value. Uh, It's definitely always dependent on the type of draft, of course, uh, and you know what statistics you're using in your draft. But you know, I'm always trying to like find the guy that you know maybe people are sleeping on a little too much, or the next guy who's going to break out, which I think everyone's trying to do. But you know, there's so many very smart people that I learned from, uh, you know, in this industry, in this you know, in this segment of the world. the fantasy baseball world. Uh, and I'm just trying to help anybody out that's willing to listen. I, I'm not going to get it right every time. I don't think anyone is. And if they are, as I said in the PitchCon, give me the lotto numbers because yeah. <laughs> you're clearly much better at this than I am. But yeah, I just, you know, I try to be as forthcoming and as thoughtful in my analysis as possible. And it's always just about what are people missing or maybe something so obvious that it's staring us all in the face and we just like don't want to believe it's true. And sometimes that needs to be said too. Definitely. Yeah, the good and the bad. Like you said, if yeah. uh, you know, you, you're trying to sugarcoat it and not everything's all, you know, rainbows and sprinkles. You yeah, gotta... some, sometimes the truth just is like, yeah, he's not very good. Yep. yep I gotta <laughs> accept it. And we've all been there. There's guys yes. that there's guys that we like to call our guys that we will buy into for way too many years. And then someone really just needs like smack you upside the head real quick and go, just stop. Just it's not there. I think the collective (laughs) agreement for that is that's Matthew Boyd for like the entirety (laughs) of fantasy baseball Twitter is just like, I want Matthew Boyd to be so good. He throws one slider and you're like, yes. Then the next slider gets hit 500 feet and you're like, no. (laughs) Exactly. He is. He is the definition of a roller coaster emotion, but it oh goes downhill God, way more so than much. uphill. <laughs> so. I remember in 2019, I was telling I when I worked at Sports Info Solutions, there there was a Tigers fan there, and I was telling him in the first half of the year, I was like, I will tr- I will like be so happy because I was a Yankees fan at the time. Now I worked for the Nationals for a hot second, so now I'm kind of like a free agent for a team per se. So I'm just trying to follow the game. But I was telling him when I was Yankees, I was like, I would love to trade for Matt Boyd, like. You know, I don't care about the home run problem in Yankee Stadium. I think it'll work out fine. I think his like next three starts, he had like an ERA of seven. And he's like, you still want to trade for Boyd? And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, are you? What, what did you do for the Nationals? If you're allowed to talk about it, uh, I was a going to be a minor league video intern for nice. the 2020 season, but uh, it obviously did not happen. No, <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen. Uh, and yeah. then my uh, my affiliate got cut. The Hagerstown Suns are no more. They are now, I think they're an independent ball team now. I saw that they announced that they were going to fix the stadium up, which is nice because that was the reason that they got cut was their stadium wasn't very nice, apparently. Uh, But yeah, my affiliate got cut. So uh, I can uh, officially say now that I'm not being brought back by the Washington Nationals, which is all right. Uh, It's it's okay. I'm cooking up some other opportunities here 
in California. I'll say where you're located, based on your Twitter profile, I grew up uh, in Woodland, close by. Okay, so, yeah. So I know where you are, and you definitely have some options there. Yes. Yes. Like they're, you, they're, you, 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 get, you could head to Reno. You can go to Sacramento. There's San Jose. There's Fresno. Yeah. Like you, you've got options for sure. There's um, definitely uh, there's a growing trend of uh, baseball individual training facilities and stuff uh-huh. going out there. They're growing more. Driveline has definitely uh, influenced. Which, by the way, speaking of driveline, I feel like that's the uh, best shape of your life is now the the new <laughs> the new version of that is he went to driveline. Exactly. Like did he go to driveline this year? Did he did he increase his spin at driveline? <laughs> <laughs> His our, his fastball RPMs increased by two hundred and twenty two because <laughs> he went to, to drive line. Oh, okay. Does he throw uh, more strikes? No. Yep. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, That's okay. so, it's so true. But he went to drive line. We know what drive line does. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor Bauer. We figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. Um yeah, it's the affiliates thing. I don't want to go down the big rabbit hole there, but I'm it's depressing what they're doing in my Oh, life. it's that, it's that's, just so sad. Like even like San Jose, where I, I used to go all the time, now it's the low A team for the Giants, not the high A team. Yeah. So that's going to be weird. Um, Fresno was you know the Giants yeah. AAA, then the and now they're they were they're the single A, yeah. Now they're, now they're like, a single, what, a single A team for the Rockies, right? Yeah, it's yeah. so weird. It's like they, they gutted the California League. They made this weird. It's I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I really don't. It's it's. The, I mean, this is a topic for a different time, but the dissolvement yeah. of minor league baseball as we know it is just, it, it's it, depressing to watch. It, it's very much so. It's very, very bad. But we'll move on to some other stuff. It might be kind of depressing because there's some injuries <laughs> involved here, but uh, we'll we'll try to shine it up for you. Um, we'll start with some recent news here. Hunter Harvey moved to the 60-day IL with his oblique injury. Part of that is so they could uh, get Michael Franco on the 40-man roster. Yeah. Part of it's because it might be that bad of an injury. We'll stick with Hunter Harvey here at first. Um, that opens the door. Tanner Scott's a very popular name. Cesar Valdez is a very popular name. Where are you headed if you're looking for a Baltimore reliever later in drafts? Uh, I saw today, I think Tanner Scott, someone said that he hit 100 on the gun. Ooh, and so I nice. was like, oh, okay. Uh, he was the first, like, the, when I saw the Harvey industry, Scott was the first guy I was thinking of. Because, I, you know, if the fastball, you know, if he's got that velocity on it, he's definitely got the other metrics with it to make him a pretty good reliever. And the other thing is the, the Orioles have already shown that they're willing to use him. So my guess is like the, with the injury to Harvey, Scott's only going to see more opportunities now. So he would be probably the first guy I go to would just be a, well, as, as I told you before, opportunities like the biggest thing I'm looking for. Are they going to get the chance? And Tanner Scott's probably the reliever that's going to get the most chances now due to the injury. I, the, the bigger question with Harvey is we don't know if it's like a whole year thing. You know, like we, the seriousness of the injury is extremely unknown. And that, that concerns me, not just this year, but long-term of like, is this going to be a nagging thing? Cause it's, it's not just a straight up, like, oh, he's getting Tommy John, you know, he'll be out yeah. for the year, come back sometime next year. We don't really know. Like it could be Tommy John. I'm not, I mean, I have no idea, but we, we're still waiting to figure that out. Yeah, those oblique injuries, there's any muscle-type injuries, you have no clue. There's no yeah. set timetable for it. It was just weird because at first, you're like, okay, he's got an oblique. He's going to be out a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden, 60 days, and it's like, okay, you made room for Michael Franco. But if it's not that bad, you could have done that with someone else. Yeah, that's so. why I'm always kind of like, when I saw the 60-day di- uh, IL, I'm always like so hesitant of like, did they find an elbow injury too? Yeah. Like, is there something, which it's possible, like an oblique injury led to an elbow injury that yeah. that's happened before. That's why I'm like super concerned of like, okay, is there more wrong than we're being led on? Or is the oblique injury just that bad? Yeah, 
for reals. That's a, it's going to be an interesting thing to follow and say 45 days when he should be starting his rehab pretty soon yeah. or something and see where that one's coming along for sure. He'll throw one slider and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hey. <laughs> yep, exactly. James, James, are you available? We need, we need a consultant, James, <laughs> Mr. <Yeah>. Andrews. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Let's go to another injury. Cattell Marte hit a almost 460-foot bomb on Tuesday and then proceeded to run the bases and hurt his ankle. Reports are it's not bad. This is, of course, spring training, so we don't know. Um, are do, What level of concern, I guess, do you have with Cattell Marte right now? Minimal. I mean, when I saw him come out of the game, I was worried because, you know, that's a guy I forgot to mention in my article about bounce back candidates. But Cattell Marte, I mean, he broke out huge in 2019. And, you know, I think people for like just didn't notice how maybe in the fantasy circles they were giving him his praise. But the average fan did not notice how good Cattell Marte was in 2019. He was a beast. So it's, it's 2020. He struggled. And and then in spring training, he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting it in the air. Both things he wasn't really doing super consistently last year. So I was like, okay, clearly he fixed what was ever wrong with his swing. But he is a guy who relies on his speed a bit, especially you know if he's going to be playing. I think he's slotted into what? Is he still slotted in for center field there? Yeah, they have him in the yeah. outfield for now. Yeah. yeah, so then he's going to need his speed out there because uh, Chase Field, that is a large outfield large outfield so his his ankle injury is concerning because i'm concerned for the re-aggravation of it in that outfield where he's going to have to cover so much ground and it also could dampen his value if he might not be stealing as many bases as he possibly could but it's a little concerning you know i'm sure he'll be back in games and we'll have to see how you know how he's moving around and everything but if the diamondbacks say it's not too big of a deal i'll take them at their word but uh you know in this in Coming off the 2020 season to the 2021, every little thing, you just have no idea how like legitimate it's going to be because their training just completely different. Last year was such a short sprint. They could like, you know, just do things a little bit differently, go all out a little bit more because they know they don't have to play, you know, too many games. But, you know, now an ankle injury, you're like, okay, we give this more time. You know, I'm sure if it were the regular season, he might be playing through it, but mm-hmm. it's better that he's not. Yeah, it's kind of what it seemed like with all the reports afterwards. Just one of those he could have gotten taped up or something in between innings and and gone for it if he needed to. I'm glad they didn't because I've been buying a lot of like eighth and ninth round shares of Cattell Marte, and that's a good spot. There was there was a part of me going, oh, no, like I I know like I'm with you. I'm, I'm a believer in the bounce back candidate part, but then if you can't play, it's hard to bounce back. So that was like, oh yeah. no, don't, don't don't do it to me. Don't it's do also it to me. again if he can't steal bases, like yep. he's a good hitter. Not not yep. gonna deny that but his his value sort of goes way down because he's you know he's a perennial 20 to 30 stolen base threat but if he's only going to be attempting you know five to ten times there's yeah all of a sudden instead of taking him in the eighth ninth round which is a really good spot for him you know you're kind of like okay i can probably wait you know three four maybe even five more rounds on him because if he's only going to be stealing five more bases there's a bunch of other guys available in those rounds who are just as good hitters yeah, if you want a second baseman that's got more power potentially, and a, like, he will have a lower average. You wait a few rounds, you get Mike Mustagas or something to play second base yeah. if if you really want to, because then, like you said, the steals kind of negate themselves and it makes it not as appealing for sure. And, and then it also becomes a discussion: uh, two bounce back guys that are going right next to each other. You have Marte and Altuve seem to be going yeah. pretty close at second base, like they're kind of the ones that go back to back for the most part. So then it's like you take Marte, thinking potential more power still brings you the steals. If he doesn't steal. 
well, now you're starting to make these injuries because Altuve should steal a little more, but yeah. not have the power. So it's what does your team need at that point? It's also it's, a question of like – Altuve, I remember if we looked at the full season, including postseason, Altuve was much better at the plate if we yeah. include the postseason, right? But now here in spring training, he seems to be flailing at everything again. Like yeah. the difference was in the postseason was he was a little bit more contained. He wasn't you know, getting out of the zone too much. But in spring training, he's just been kind of swinging a lot again. He already swings a lot. That's yeah. who he is. But it's a little like concerning that he's doing, you know, it's, it's spring training, right? We always take things with a grain of salt, but I always look for, you know, all right, what were they good at? Were they good with their plate discipline, hitting the ball hard, right? Are they doing that again in spring training? And if they aren't, why? And if they, and if they aren't, is that concerning? And with Altuve, it's a little concerning that he's, again, kind of like coming out of his approach a bit. Yeah, it's definitely something to monitor because both of those guys, I like where they're getting drafted, but it's uh, they still need to produce in the yes. end. Um, Steven Strasburg, we're always, unfortunately, it seems like he hits a bump in the road at some point in time. It's terrifying because it's like the, the talent level's great. Um, if you're good with 150 to 170 quality innings, he's there, but don't expect a whole lot more. He already has a calf injury. And then there's two things that, that, were, that came out of this. They said it's minor, which is good. He said he's a quick healer, which made me laugh. Um, I haven't been able to pull the I haven't been able to pull the string on Strasburg. What are you doing with Strasburg and drafts right now? Um, I think I saw somebody tell me like they were taking him in the late teens, early twenty rounds, and I was like, "What draft is that?" <sighs> well, they had a lot. They 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 had a lot of teams in their draft. Gotcha. Yeah. So, uh, and I was like. That seems that seems kind of heavy, but I would avoid it drafting Strasburg. Uh, there's no there's no question in my mind in a single season that he could be a top ten pitcher. I mean, he when he gets to pitch, there's no as you said, there's no doubting the talent. But yeah, I mean, Ev, we saw what he did in 2019, right? That was by far one of the best years of his career. Yep. But you know, the calf injury. Thank God it's not an arm injury, right? This yeah, is the first time exactly. he's having a lower half injury, which does you know make it slightly better but even coming into the year i was telling people like i would rather avoid strasburg there are just sure bets there there are things that are just safer um you know if you're somebody who's like really high like likes risk which good for you you're braver than i but uh then you know maybe in your later rounds and like you know you're getting into the you know seventh eighth ninth right you're like "Mm, i need somebody that could you know, I need a good risk buy. Strasburg could be that. Like, if this if this is nothing, I mean, I take his you know his fast healing comments. Maybe he meant them sarcastically. I hope so. But <laughs> he 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 was a bit of a joker when I met him last year. So, nice. uh, but yeah, I I would I'm avoiding him. Is is what I'm I'm av- like I'm avoiding guys like Strasburg, Severino, Sale. Uh, pretty much any pitcher that's coming back from injury, I'm tending to avoid. Yeah, I'm with you there. And it seems like you look at Strasburg, just ADP in March from NFBC, anywhere from pick 48 to pick 97. So, yeah, yeah, it's all over the board. It just depends on on where you're feeling frisky, basically. Like you're you're saying, if you're if you are risk averse, you're definitely not taking him at all. No, but that's why I don't, that's why I don't do it. It's just not gonna happen. if if he if he ends up pitching great, you're like okay, I whiffed. Yep. Like it's all right. Yeah, I'll take those chances. That's one of those that like 
it feels like at least like 80% of the time you're going to be right. So just kind of walk away and see what yeah. happens. Especially when you get guys like, you know, Herman Marquez are usually yeah. available in the same roughly ADP that Strasburg is. I, Her- Mar- Marquez is a much safer bet. Just yep. a much safer bet than uh, Steven Strasburg. Because Marquez has consistently put out like 180 innings. Yep. I know that starting pitchers, we might get one or two that throw 200 innings this year. But Marquez is going to be one of those guys who like we think about that's going to be pushing that number because he's just remained so durable and he's a good pitcher, but they're at roughly similar ADPs. And I've seen more people like talk about Strasburg than Marquez. And I'm like, no, take, yeah. take Marquez, take Marquez. You know what you're getting. Yeah. Cause everyone's just nervous about Coors, but I've, I've talked about it on other shows. If you break down, I know it was a short season last year, but it was essentially one, you could say maybe two starts that destroyed him in Coors he had like five really good starts in Coors where you'd have been mad you didn't play him. And two, like the one or two starts, one I believe was the Padres where you probably yeah. would have sat him anyways. And there was one, I think it was the, it wasn't the Dodgers, but it was another game where you were kind of like 50 50 on was it, it. I think it was the Giants. And the Giants, no, the, Astros, fun. the Astros got him. Was it the Astros? Yeah. The Giants are interesting because I remember in 2019, I think Marquez got absolutely shelled against the Giants yep. uh, in Coors Field. And Again, I think Marquez is worth it because, listen, yeah, you're going to get those games where, in course, he's just – it just happens, right? Because it happens to every pitcher there. Yep. So you just kind of got to live with that. But as you said, you're going to get, like, more good starts than, like, awful starts yeah. than Marquez at a course. And then when he's on the road, he's just he's as good. Yeah. yeah, so I'm with, I'm with you. I've, I've been slowly buying back in because he's finally got a price that's worth discussing. And I also re- think he's – getting traded at some point yes. this year agreed if the rockies finally understand <laughs> that they are rebuilding and yep. that sending 50 million dollars to a team was ridiculous but also if you understand <laughs> if that's the direction you're going just trade marquez yep. trade story yep. trade john gray get everyone who's good out of that team Yep, pretty much. So, yeah, given $50 million to get yeah, rid of that. Uh, was crazy. Uh, I'm sorry, but that was just I, when I saw that, I almost broke yeah, my Their GM should lose their job on Yeah, site. Jeff Riddich is, oh my God. Horrible. That was horrible. horrible. Yeah. Uh, Sonny Gray, he has skipped a start, apparently dealing with back, uh, back spasms. Back injuries are not fun to play with because those come pop no. up at any moment. Apparently, he was dealing with them at times towards the end of last year, and we didn't really find out about it. But that makes me even worse, more concerned now because he's already had it and it's popping up again. This is a guy I was kind of interested in in drafts, and now I'm much more hesitant. If you were drafting soon, how would you approach uh, Sonny Gray? Uh, back injuries scare me a lot. Yeah. As someone who has had uh, back injuries, um, they are not fun to deal with. Extremely not fun, and they are almost impossible to even like. If you're like, I can pitch through it. No, you can't. You no. you just can't. Um, Sonny Gray, yeah, it, it looked like last year he labored through the end of the year because, I mean, open the year, he was brilliant. Like, he looked great. A lot of strikeouts, a lot of ground balls, very minimal walks, very minimal hits. And then his last, like, three or four starts, he was getting a little roughed around, and he just – the pitch mix was weird. It looked like he was – just didn't look right. So if he was having back problems at the end of the year, I would believe it. Um, but – yeah, I mean, um, that would make me back problems on a pitcher like Strasburg. I'm out, like, yeah. not because that's the kind of thing that definitely lingers. Yeah, it's, it's hard tough. for that to go away soon. I mean, 
it took just from personal speaking, it took six months to recover from a fractured back for me. I don't, I don't think that's what he has, which no. I pray to God. That's not what he has. Cause that would be terrible. But like I, it can start with just, you know, a yep. couple back spasms and all of a sudden next thing you know it's you know three months you've been on the il because your back is still bothering you mm-hmm. uh, back back stuff is scary like just yep. you know if you have sunny gray shares i'm sorry but you should probably be selling them right now yeah no i'm, I'm probably not gonna draft anymore that's for sure and uh yeah I've, I've had lower back deals before some worse than others and when it when it's been bad it was like four to six weeks before i could like say go play golf again so i can only imagine yeah. a guy trying to go pitch it's going to be, a, I don't know, kind of scary. Something to monitor for sure. Um, San Diego Padres, Austin Nola fractured his finger on his catching hand, his left hand. Not good when you're trying to catch 90-plus mile or fastballs over and over again. Like Rio Muto was non-catching hand. He's still been kind of working with pitchers. You can say what you want there. Nola, this is going to set him back quite a bit. Um, I am I, I, I moved him down my <laughs> rankings quite a bit. I was trying to focus on drafting him at certain parts anymore. That's kind of tough to do. So, A, what's your thoughts on Nola? And B, is a guy like Caratini all of a sudden on your radar? Uh, I'm very sad about Austin Nola. He was my second article of Pitcher List was all about Austin Nola because um, I know most leagues don't do defense, but if you do, Austin Nola was an amazing defender behind the plate last year. And that's where a lot of value comes from catching. And the better defender you are, the more you're going to play, which yep. is, as I said, opportunities are big. And he is a great defender last year, and his stance is great. His technique is great. Uh, but he was a good hitter, too. He was hitting the ball consistently hard and trying to hit it in the air as much. Then he got to San Diego, and I think the meshing with the new staff and learning everything, his bat definitely took a little bit of a tumble. But it was still solid enough, especially out of the catcher spot. Uh, I told people coming into the year that like he should be in your top 10 you know, fantasy catcher rankings. Uh, this injury, like, yes, it's on his catching hand, which means it's important. You know, it's going to take a while. He needs to let it heal. So that'll bump him down a bit. Um, I don't remember what his ADP was, but I would, whatever it is, probably add 10 to 15 to it. Uh, and Victor Caratini moves up because, Hey, Victor Caratini is pretty good. Like, yeah. Yeah, he, especially he's probably like closer to a slightly above average hitting catcher, but like Nola, he's pretty good defensively, which means, again, he's going to play. You know, Ben will be teams that ca- offense from the catching spot is nice, but they generally just want to make sure that you're a solid defender back there. And you already knew Caratini was going to catch every Darvish start because mm-hmm. that's what he did in Chicago. So now, you know, he's going to work with the entire staff. Uh, I would move, I would move up on Caratini. I don't think there's, especially in a one season deal, there's not really much alarming there. He's, a slightly above average catcher and you know unless you're taking Grandal and real muto which most people don't because they have the strategy of buying catchers late which is fair because there's not a lot of good ones uh but caratini is one of those good ones that i would i'm cautiously optimistic that nola can recover within a couple months uh mm-hmm. but i i would be all over victor caratini yeah a couple things uh nola's current adp it's 190 for the month of March, but since his injury, he's gone as low as 311. So that yeah. tells you everything you need to know there. But uh, Caratini, I, I love Caratini. I talked about him a lot last year because um, with the DH involved, you know, he's going to play first base DH and catch in Chicago. He played quite a bit. He's got yeah. a good stick. He hits the ball hard. Good plate discipline, actually, for a Very catcher. Very good plate discipline. So he'll get you if you're like in OBP leagues or whatever. Like he's big in that. He's sneaky. Um, 
right now is ADP 360. That's going to creep up a lot, like you yeah, said. It's gonna, it, that's going to shoot up real yeah, he, high. He should be like a top – I'll say top 20 for now, catcher. But I, I, I could see an argument for 10 to 15 if you want. Yeah. Like I, I, really, I really could. If you if you're taking if he's like the thirteenth catcher coming off the board, I would say that you, you might have done a really good job. Like you might have gotten a steal. Yeah, because like at that point, the thirteenth catcher right now is Garver. Then you have Posey, Alfaro. I have no problem having a conversation saying Caratini could be better than them. Yeah, right. Like especially you know Posey, he didn't no play power. last year there, and his power was completely sapped in yep. 2019, and. uh so you have no idea what you're going to get out of him. I mean, again, he's still a whiz behind the plate. Still yeah. very good. But if he's, you know, uh, he's not going to be putting up a great batting average. It's going to be good, not great. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of power. Not a lot of RBIs. You know, his OBP is probably going to be solid. So if you're in an OBP league, right, he'll shoot yeah, up a bit yeah. because he's he's always had pretty good plate discipline. Uh, but, yeah, I, if if you're telling me that you're taking Victor Caratini over Buster Posey, I'd probably say that there's a really good argument for that, which yeah. hurts because I love Buster Posey. Yeah, so do I. Gi- <laughs> Giants fan here, so yeah. it's like he's done that, so much for that team and everything. But yeah, it it hurts to say that you're taking Victor Caratini over Buster Posey, but like there's a good argument for it. Well, like when we've done catcher previews and stuff, I've this is the first year I've even had the chance to roster Buster Posey because I've never paid the premium for him, which he always had to pay for. Because I, didn't, you know, he's not. That good fantasy wise, he's just not. He's, he always went way higher yeah. in fantasy drafts than he should have. But that's yep. just like that's most catchers in general. Yeah, right? I agree. Like I saw somebody told me that Yasmani Grandal went in like the first twenty five picks of a draft, and I was like, "Well, Ooh. was it an OBP league?" I and I was thinking, so. like, "Yeah, if it's an OBP league, you know, he's consistently three sixty on base percentage, right? Like, yeah. makes sense. That's a really good OBP for a catcher." They're like, no, standard five by five, and I was like, Ooh. Ooh. "Grandal's not a good." Man, not that. No, not he gets like, he gets like, like 235. Yeah, like he'll hit 235. He'll give you 25 home runs, yeah. right? Like he can hit the he can hit bombs, but you can do that later. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm with you. Some drafts make you laugh. Um, back back to Baltimore real quick. We hit on Michael Franco earlier. Yeah, uh, they signed him to a deal. You know, he might not start out the gate, but I imagine him being the everyday third baseman at one point in time. Ryan Ruiz is there, but let's be real. Yeah. If Franco's hitting like he hit in Kansas City. <laughs> That's your guy. Um, he's cheap in drafts right now. That'll go up a little bit. But any appeal on Franco, I'm a big fan of Franco, and I think it's a fun landing spot in that ballpark on that team. I think he can still be pretty productive. Yeah, so Michael Franco, for years, I, I mean years, I've literally yeah. just said, man, if that guy ever put it together, so right? He did in spring training every year. And he did. Every, every, every single damn year. I was always yeah. like, man, is this going to be the year of Michael Franco? <laughs> then the first two weeks, he was like one for 18. And I was like, yep. never mind. Yep. Not uh, again. But, you know, his his ADP right now is 538, which that'll shoot up now that, you know, he's yeah. been drafted, right? So uh, I want him to be good so yep. bad because you look at the swing. You look at the exit velos, you look at his hard hit rate, and you're like, ah, it's all there. It's all there. But his problem is he just loves to swing, which which is fine. Like Some of those guys can be really productive. And at times, Franco looks like one of the best. I mean, I think it was 2018 where there was like a month stretch where 
Mikel Franco was like the second best hitter in the league over like a month period. And I was remember like telling my friends, I'm like, what the heck has got into Mikel Franco? But he has the potential to be a great hitter. He just gets in his own way because he's just so free swinging. And if someone can teach that man to just like, Hey, instead of swinging at everything that looks like a strike, (laughs) why don't we swing at like half of the things that look like a strike? And then he'd be so much better. I know it sounds so simple. Like, Hey, be more play disciplined. Like, yeah, obviously, you know, I can sit here and say that behind a, you know, you know, laptop screen and everything. Right. But you know, it's much harder to go out and do it, but that's really the, I don't like guys who have bad plate discipline, but when they hit the ball as hard as he does, I'm always like inclined to be like, but (laughs) I'm with you. But there's a chance he could do it and i i like franco i like him but as you said i like him in that park i mean he could feast in that park the the problem is like he's, he's burned so many people so many times that i'm i would still tell people like be cautiously optimistic but i would avoid it just because been burned so many times but i do love him in that park though yeah and i think it's fun it's like people just need to temper their expectations because i'm with you i think he can be super super good but you just look at his profile, he's hit 278, 234, 270, 230, 255. So which one are you going to get? But even, yeah. through all, even through all that, 17 homers, 22, 24, 25. So he can get you 20 to 25 homers, you would imagine. And it's crazy to think for a guy that hits it as hard as he does, his BABIPs always blow 300, and he strikes out like 15% of the time for the most part. So he doesn't strike out a ton. He just like pops it up or he does the, like he just has – he's such a freakish guy. It's is- goofy, like you said. It's just wild. Uh, Alex Chamberlain and uh, Connor Cookrun, they talked about him a lot and that his launch angle has so much variations in yeah. it because he just swings so much. His 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 approach is to, I just got to get the bat on the ball. Yeah. Right. And he's not really the type of hitter that he like that should be doing that. You know, it's one thing if a David Fletcher or an Adam Frazier or an Andrelton Simmons do that. Right. Because they don't have a ton of power. Right, they're not selling out for power and everything. But Franco, he's got the pop. I mean, yeah. he could, he he's hit twenty to twenty five home runs a year, as we said. With this approach, if he changed it, I mean, we could be seeing a guy a that monster. could potentially hit thirty home runs in that ballpark. He could really do it. But again, I just don't think he's going to change his approach, and it's just going to be you know he'll hit two fifty to two sixty with the twenty home runs, and you're going to be like, this is nice. Yeah. God, I know there's more in there. Yep, there's so much more. But I think where he's getting drafted, he can get him cheap, corner infield, bench guy, see what happens, give it a shot. It's, I'm just, I think it's one of the better spots. I was worried he's going to go to the Mets or something and and just screw it all up. But I think in Baltimore, he he at least gets a chance. I wouldn't even be able to figure out the Mets. I'd be like, what are they doing? I don't even know what they're doing with Dom Smith. So yeah, they don't know what they're doing. So it's, uh, it's entertaining there. Um, We're going to skip Lubob because Lubob actually came back and played on Wednesday. So that's good. Things, things are positive there. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, though, this is one that I knew it when they said it. He's dealing with you know elbow issues again. I remember him dealing with this before in the preseason, in the spring training, and you're getting nervous. Then he goes out and he throws 170 plus innings, like he does it. But eventually, he's an older pitcher, yeah. and this is like I guess he could go Masahiro Tanaka. And I always waited for the surgery and it never happened. Uh, he just kept doing it time and time again, even with a splitter, which is crazy. Um, Carrasco's going around pick 75. I'm too nervous to draft him. What's your outlook or thoughts on uh, Carlos Carrasco and this injury right now? Yeah, so I remember when it happened, he was like, it'll be okay. It's a minor thing. But it's always like, yeah, but 
you know, he's how old is he now? He's 34, mm-hmm. right? His ADP is 64. That's a little high if I were yeah. if it were me. Uh, if it were no injury, I'd say yeah, that's a yeah. I was all about him before the injury yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah, like 64 for Carlos Carrasco. I mean, if you're getting a guy who's arguably close to a top 10 pitcher at 64, like that's a that's a really good get. But with the elbow stuff, yeah, you're right. He, I think last year they shut him down for like a week or so with the same sort of like elbow issues, and he, I guess he pitched a sim game and they reported no issues. But it's just you're you're walking this thin line. Yep. Sixty four is definitely way too high. But if you're getting into the one tens and one twenties, and he's still there, I I'd say you could do that. You know, we talked about with Strasburg, like that's that's you know a different thing. Grasco, yep. I mean, he missed time because he had cancer, yep. not because he was hurt. Right, a little it's different, little different, little different. Yeah. Right, he's routinely been pretty durable as a yep. pitcher. So I think it's. I'm a little bit more inclined to go for Carrasco in the one tens, but you know, if for whatever reason he's in like the one thirties or one forties, if like people are really just like that nervous about it, then I'd be like, Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Like that's, that's way below what he should be going at. So if, but if you're in the one tens, one twenties, I'd say you could be, you could be a little bold and go for it, but just definitely like this next week, I think he's supposed to pitch again, either, another start or another sim game. I can't remember what I read, but you know, see how that goes. And then from there make adjustments. But this, this next appearance, that'll be key. Cause if he gets shut down again, then that, that ADP is going to plummet. Yeah. It's going to get real interesting with Carrasco. I hope he's okay. Cause I, a root for him and B, I want him to be on my fantasy team. I just, uh, I'm nervous, very nervous at that point. In time. He's an easy guy to root for, and yep. he he's been routinely very productive. Yeah, very productive. And in, in a year where innings are a concern, he goes out and throws innings. And yeah. at his age, on a team like the Mets, they have no reason not to throw him as many innings as he can go. So, yeah, yeah very excited about that potential. But we'll see how that plays out. Um, last bit of news I have here. Eugenio Suarez and the Reds are sweeping the fantasy industry right now by just so much excitement. Um, they had him play shortstop. Apparently, he's been practicing on the backfield at shortstop this whole preseason, spring training. And they wanted, and they, they pretty much are going to use him at shortstop to start the season. And now this is where it gets funny. They're going to move Moose back to third, potentially use Jonathan India at second, which I thought, why don't you just leave India at third, where he came out of college two years ago and keep Moose at second. But I'm not the manager. Um, I thought maybe bring Nick Senzel into the infield, but that's not happening because Shobo Akiyama is on the IL. So all kinds of moving parts in Cincinnati. What's your thoughts on this from a fantasy perspective? Is there like, you know, you're going to get new eligibility from Suarez. That's cool. Maybe Jonathan India gets a shot. Uh, Any thoughts on this? Well, I can tell you very confidently that the Reds should have gotten a goddamn shortstop on the open market. (laughs) <laughs> there was a few. There was a few more available too. There were a few. I thought yeah. for sure that Angelton Simmons would have made he, too much sense. Yeah, he was going to end up in Cincinnati. Like I was so confident that's where he was going to go once the Yankees had re-signed DJ LeMahieu. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, all right, he'll he'll go, he'll go to Cincinnati. He'll take that one-year deal, do whatever they want, and then all of a sudden, like Simmons is gone, Gregorius is gone. Um, I'm thinking to myself, well, VR, and then VR signs with the Mets, and I'm like, okay. is there? What are they doing? And apparently the answer is to take a guy who was horrible at shortstop early in his career and move him back there. Then take the guy who is a career third baseman in his development and move him to second base. 
And then take Moustakis, who's roughly the same at both spots. He's like solid, could be a little below average, could be a little above average. But, you know, he's fairly okay at second or third. It doesn't make too much sense. But when you have a guy who's like a career third baseman throughout most of his baseball life playing there, doesn't make much sense to swap him. Then when they said that, I was like, well, you know, Nick Senzel was a second baseman. You know, he was an infielder. And then I saw the Akiyama injury, and I was like, well, never mind about that. And all that it makes me come back to is uh, two things. For real-life purposes and real baseball, the Reds' management had no idea what they're doing. Yep. The And then the other thing to me is Eugenio Suarez at shortstop is probably roughly the same value as he was at third base. He was he's kind of going, he's going off in like the top 10, you know, late, you know, late top 10 at third base. Right. If he moves over shortstop, that's probably where he is too. Like, though you're going to get a lot more home runs, which could increase the value. It just, the thing about shortstop is like, it's so stacked. It's so, especially if Javier Baez is back to hitting. Yeah. I mean, I like, I would understand if people took Suarez in front of Baez, but in my mind, there's a real chance that Baez is going to be, you know, more productive than Suarez is. It's slim, but there's a possibility of that. You know, he did hit a ball 116 miles per hour last year, and he's crushing baseballs again so far yep. in spring. That in-game video clearly is means Helping a lot to bitch. Javier Baez. I, yep. I can't explain it, but him and JD Martinez, like, it's it means something to them. Uh, but you know, I, Suarez, he's good value for a shortstop. Like that's going to help his ADP because he probably goes from you know a late top ten third baseman to a late top ten, top seven, top six shortstop because mm-hmm. he's going to hit thirty to forty home runs. Like yeah. he, that's what he does, you know, and that's that's really valuable out of that shortstop spot. Yeah, when I was when I was breaking it down and like I, I was taking notes and like for a little like blurb I was going to post. Um, with Suarez, you know, 35 home runs is pretty much a yearly thing. He has 40-plus yeah. home run upside. So you go to look at the projection sites, like on fan graphs, just look at, say, the bat. Um, yeah. You have Tatis projected at 36, Seager projected at 31. Those are the only two shortstops to hit over 30. So, yeah, Suarez could just smack both of those. Yeah. Obviously, could, could. average stings, stolen base stings. But, yeah. yeah. You're you're shelling out for home runs there. Yeah. And, so and, which it, is fine. Yeah, it just depends on what your roster construction is. I think the biggest thing he brings is now instead of being third base corner infield, it's third base middle infield shortstop. So that whole flexibility thing, which we saw was be so important last year, that becomes a little more entertaining. Like the whole argument, like given DJ LeMay, who hits for average and stuff, isn't for power. The reason why he gets drafted so high is all that flexibility he has. Yeah. Now you get a guy like Suarez to get that. It's just like, yeah, it's interesting. Flexibility, if that helps. for sure, that makes that makes his ADP go up just on that alone. Yeah. Adding the fact that he could hit more home runs than any other shortstop, uh, you know. Also, thirty-one home runs for Corey Seager seems a little low. I, yeah, he's crushing the ball, yes, destroying it, just destroying the baseball. But I get it. Like you know, Lindor, his bat is it. it he struggled early, and then as twenty twenty went on, it got better. But in twenty nineteen, like it was. It was, it was good, not long, great. Yeah. Like you definitely know he's capable of more. Um, Xander Bogarts is obviously like he can just mash. 
out of the shortstop hole. I don't know how much longer he's going to be a shortstop because if he's if he's going to play there for his entire career, he's going to like double Derek Jeter's you know negative defensive run yes, save. That guy is atrocious out there at short. Yeah. Yeah. But it'll be a, a fun debate: who has the worst defensive war, Suarez or Bogarts this year? Oh, shortstop. God, <laughs> that's mean, but very true. That's tough. I'd probably take Bogarts. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would bet Bogarts is worse, which is It'll, that's really saying something. Yeah, it is. It is. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how this plays out. I'm curious to see how long they stick with it. Um, does it give India full time, or do they send them back down eventually? Like, there's so many what ifs that it, like India. I'm intrigued by. Like, he's shown a little bit of promise in the minors, not what we saw in college, but it looks like he did something at the alt site last year that we didn't see because he's come out hitting really well this spring, like really well. So I would love for them to just give the Reds are interesting because I would love to give anybody that's like an infielder in their farm just a shot. Just because like what you didn't <sighs> sign a shortstop, right? Mm-hmm. So so somebody's gotta be able to play it. I know you're going with Suarez, yeah. who has shown that he can't play it. Exactly. But <laughs> what's what's the harm? What's what's the harm of throwing him out there? Like if he if obviously he didn't prep for it, that's one thing. Like if he's not prepared to play shortstop. Sure, that's fine. But if he was like, hey, you know, like I took ground balls at shortstop in the offseason. I've been taking them here in the backfields and everything. I would rather see him there and stick, keep Suarez at third because, mm-hmm. A, you know what you're getting from Suarez at third, and you can get relative upside at short from him. And it's just. Yeah, it's weird. It's very the Reds, weird. The Reds management, it confuses yeah. me. I don't get it, man. I, I don't get Reds, it. Reds or Rockies management? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, Definitely taking the Reds because I will yes. never take the Rockies. <laughs> anything. Exactly, exactly. But uh, that'll wrap up our recent news. Let's go to some players that you've been uh, talking about lately or showing some interest in that uh, I'm, I'm curious about. But before uh, we do that, you mentioned you kind of do a sleeper column, breakout column, like you do these kind of things. You did some earlier this year, just out of curiosity, because like we all do them. How do you decide who your sleeper is? Because the discussion on the fantasy world these days and it's tough because we have to put content out. That's just the way it goes regardless with so much content out there is a player really a sleeper anymore. That's that is okay. I'm glad you said that because that is what I face too. I'm like, Hmm, you know, this guy, his ADP is, you know, 212, but really he should be going in the one eighties. And then I look and there's three articles about how yep. he should be drafted higher. I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I can't say that three people have already said this. So the first step is always like, I look at their ADP and I'm like, they should be going higher than that. Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. always my first step. But then the problem nowadays is like, everyone seems to be thinking the same thing yep. of like, Hmm, he's going too low. You know, like uh, I was thinking, about you know when I, when we did our breakout picks and everything, you know I was obviously Jordan Montgomery, who we'll talk about more later. But like he's going, you know his ADP. I was like that's way too low for Jordan Montgomery. But then the next thing you know, now everyone's like it's Jordan Montgomery time, and I'm like, yep. good thing I got ahead of that one because yep. man, if I was trying to catch up now, I mean there's Jordan Montgomery's articles like twice a week now. Yep. He's all over the place, which is great. I'm glad because I love the guy, but. I mean, it's if you're not if you're like not catching it early. Oh man, it's so hard. It's so hard. At this point, I'm just sort of like I'm just gonna write about the guys 
that I know are probably undervalued that other people are talking about anyway, but I'm still going to write about them. Yeah. That's all you can do. Just put your twist on it. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's not. Maybe someone sees it that didn't see the other one. Uh, You just got to go with it now because there's so much of it. Uh, Sometimes I write the article and I say late round targets. Yeah. You do with it what you wish. That's what I I say in the article. I'm like, he's a good late round target. Or if you're looking for a mid round starting pitcher, right? That's what I say. I don't, because yeah, I know tough. that it's, it's like, all right, their ADP is, you know, 152. It's tough. I wrote it down when you, when you mentioned it. I just had to ask because it's like there's so much. And it's a lot of good content out there. Yeah, so it's there, not like it's, people it's are just saying like great things. Yeah. Very so it's, things. it's so tough being like, okay, how can I reinvent the wheel? And it's just like you run yeah. out of ways to do it. Exactly. So uh, let's talk about some guys, though. Uh, Glaber Torres. That's your article coming out on Friday. This is a guy that. I was anti-Torres last year, more so because of his price tag. He was going very, very high in drafts. And I'm like, I'm not paying for that. Well, you never want a victory lap, something like that, but he had a down season. So it worked out for me. But then I look at where he's getting drafted now, and I'm all in on Javi Baez, but he's going right by Javi Baez, and I'm slowly then shifting to Glaber Torres in this one, thinking, okay, like if I just put steals to the side, because who knows if Baez will still run, Torres has more power, potentially more average, better team. Like everything points to Glaber Torres. So what is it that you're seeing that's coming out in your article on Friday? So um, the, the big thing I'm focused on with this offensive profile was Glaber Torres had a 12% walk rate last year, which caught, caught a lot of people off guard because he was routinely like a 9 to 8% walk rate. That's fine. Like, especially for the type of hitter that Torres is, that's relatively what one would expect. A high, you know, a decent contact kind of guy, 270 to 290 hitter. Right. But then he debuted this, you know, this 12% walk rate, a 17% strikeout rate, both a career high and a career low, you know, in the respective categories. And I said, hmm, what happened there? And on the surface, it looks like he just swung less. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, if you swing less, generally speaking, you you might walk more. But it's not really that simple. His season was sort of in three phases. He had his pre-August 8th phase where he was just absolutely terrible i think at one point in time he was like oh for 23 not Ooh. just in hits but like he just didn't get on base in that stretch too and then post august 8th to injury that's where glaber torres really started to figure it out his outside swing percentage of the zone i think was low was below 20 percent. so he was just not chasing anything then his swing percentage was much lower than that too it was it was really low uh, like, well, like 15, 20% below average. So he just, he wasn't swinging in general, but he still over that stretch, he had a 164 way to runs created plus. So he was mashing the ball. Then we look at, you know, post-injury postseason, right? In that third phase, that's the Glaber Torres that people know is there. That's sort of, he was had like a one, he had like a 150 way to runs created stretch, way to runs created plus over that stretch. His O swing percentage went up a little bit. Uh, his walk rate was still around 10, 11% during that time though. And his swing percentage went back closer to league average. So he was swinging um, the amount that one would, one would expect, but he wasn't chasing as much. So that's the thing that caught my eye offensively was if that's the Glaber Torres that now has the ability that he has shown in the postseason consistently that he can lay off tough pitches in the postseason. He doesn't do it over a full season, but it, come playoffs every time, he's a very hard man to get out. Um, and he's now sort of, was he sort of transferring that ability into the regular season? And that was the thing that caught my eye. I know he the power wasn't there last year, but 
know, he came into camp out of shape. It clearly showed, you know, once, you know, he had those, that second phase, third phase came around, the power sort of came back and he looked much better. But offensively, that's what I'm focusing on. Defensively, the what the rest of the article started talking about is his long-term viability at shortstop. Because mm. he is he struggled defensively last yeah. year. Like there's there's just no question about it. And the Yankees sort of had to wrestle with themselves. They clearly wanted to bring DJ LeMayhew back, but there was a lot of pressure to sign an Andrelton Simmons, who is a you know, as we all know, an immaculate defender, one of the best we've ever seen um at that position, and move Glaber back to second and see how he did there. That question has not gone away just because they signed DJ LeMayhew. That question is still there about his long-term viability at shortstop. And this is sort of a, you know, I'm sort of the, the article sort of talking about, is this a make it or break it year for Gleyber Torres? Mm-hmm. Not offensively speaking. I think the offense is going to be there if that chase rate or that O swing percentage that I was talking about is consistent with last year. Cause I think he'll have a monster year at the plate. If that's true. If not, then he'll probably be close to the 270. 340, 480 to 500 range that he has been in his career, which is still really good value out of a shortstop. Um, but if he can't field the ball, is it what's you know what's his long term viability there? And then how does that affect Gio Urshela? How does that affect Luke Voigt? Right, because if Gleyber Torres can't play shortstop, and you know all of a sudden Corey Seager's out there on the market, who's a good defender, you know, not a great defender, good defender at short, obviously a great hitter, mm-hmm. left handed. Put that right. porch, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, like all of a sudden the Yankees are more inclined to go get a shortstop. That affects Glaber Torres' draft value out of you know shortstop versus second base or even third base, depending on where they move him, right? And it also affects you know the Yankees, you know, some guys like Luke Voigt or Gio Shella, if they're the odd man out. Also, we have to think about you know their value and everything. But yeah, I mean, I the article is about sort of his offensive profile, what stood out in 2020, and then just his future at shortstop. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because the, the the twist about the future at shortstop is interesting because uh, when it comes to the offensive side of it, I saw the things you were talking about. You're swinging less and doing those things. I'm, that's like the the easy way to look at it. Like you mentioned, I remember there was one episode of MLB Tonight. DeRosa was on there with Billy Ripken or something, and they broke down his swing about his aggressiveness, kind of what you were talking about. And he started out the year kind of being timid and doing things like not the normal Glaber tours that they showed from the previous postseason and everything. And then – you saw the development of he kind of switched back, as you mentioned, as, as the season went on. So that was very interesting to see. And can can he hold that over? But I like the comments about how sustainable his future is at shortstop. Because a, if you put him over at third base, now that changes things a little bit. Like, is is he as valuable? He's still valuable, but is he as valuable if he's not having a big season? And the other question is, I know it's probably not like a long term thing, like the Reds putting Suarez at shortstop, but they've been toying with your Shella at shortstop this this spring training. How much viability do you think that is? Because I think I like your shell as a late later round third baseman corner infield for batting average and everything. But you throw shortstop into the mix, it just deepens that pool for the later round shortstops for sure. But um, do you think there's a chance they actually kind of roll with that more often than not? They said their their comments were that it was in a pinch, and Gio Urshela's ADP is 154, and that's a pretty good ADP yeah. for Gio Urshela. That's 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 a that's a potential. That's a potential sleeper. Uh, <laughs> I need to go write about Gio Urshela. Uh, but no, I mean, yeah, with Gio, he said he trained at shortstop in the offseason. 
uh, people were taking his comments of like a more sort of like if you own any Tyler Wade stock, and if you do, why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you do, like people were like, oh, like maybe it's just a replacement for Tyler Wade. It's generally speaking, it's a bad idea to have like your backup shortstop be an everyday player. Like, yeah, true. It's it's just it's too too much risk there. Um, Urshela, if he plays more than five games at shortstop this year, I'd be genuinely shocked. Like, yeah. I think okay. the Yankees are just doing it as a uh, if just in know, case break yeah, glass. If, <laughs> you know, Torres and Tyler Wade get hurt in the same game, kind of deal. Okay. Like, but uh, he, I don't he's think like there's the emergency any... catcher at shortstop. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. I don't. I don't think there's any viability there for Rochelle at short. Uh, but if if Glaber doesn't work at short, then we have to sort of question Gio Rochelle's viability on the Yankees, right? Like, yeah. what what happens there? Or Luke Voigt's viability? I mean, that's a guy, Luke Voigt. That guy can mash. You yeah. put him in any park and he'll mash, right? Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's tough for Torres. I, I really want him to succeed because, A, he seems like a likable guy. Uh, mm-hmm. And, B, obviously, 23 years old, he's immensely talented, right? Yeah, immensely talented, super young. Like There's a lot of development that can take place there. And I don't see him being a long-term shortstop either. So No, I, I was yeah. – you know, when they moved into second base, I was like, that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's his, his range at short isn't great. His arm's definitely capable of playing the yeah. position, but his range, you know, and I'll go into that in the article, but the man can't move to the right very well. Yeah. I think second base or third base is a great landing spot for a guy. I like, like, the, I like the third base idea because, you know, if he can't, yep. if he can't move to his right too well, he doesn't need to. how far <laughs> he can go right is like yeah. a good thing. Not a bad idea. Yeah, you said he's got the arms. So that's not the issue. Yeah, it's not. So, it's not the arm. It's just the range. Yeah, so that'd be something to keep an eye on. Uh, another Yankee situation. I'll combine the dynamic duo, the new version of the Bash Brothers, whatever you want to call them. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. There's no doubting how talented they are offensively. How hard they go to baseball. The 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 the, <laughs> the 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 doubting part is how many games do they play. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's just like this time, you know, last year, oh, they look great, great shape. You know, there's pictures last pre, uh, spring training where they were like shirtless or wearing cutoff shirts and like flexing their muscles and everyone's all excited. And then they go and get hurt. Um, right now, everyone's saying they look great. Like judge took up yoga to help with his health and other things like that. If, are you a believer? Are you guys? These are the guys like, I just have such a hard time buying it. It's, it's tough. I uh, judges ADP is 49 right now. Yep. And, that's right in that sweet spot where it's like, that's probably where he should be. But not enough people are going to think that's where he should be, where you could wait a bit and he could fall more because they're concerned that he's not going to play. Sure. Um, you know, John Carlo is even tougher because I, I saw somebody the other day said, and I think this is a pretty good comparison. We People used to marvel at how Tony Gwynn would strike out less than 40 times a year. Giancarlo hitting the ball 120 miles per hour every year and having the top exit velocity is the new Tony Gwynn strikes out less than 40 <laughs> times a year. So Nobody true. can do it like he can. Nope. And it's his, his ADP is 110. And that's, I think that's actually a little high because again, he's played what, like 38, 40 games in the last two years. It's, it's concerning. Yep. Obviously when he's on the field, I mean, you're going to get a guy who could hit, you know, anywhere from 280 to 300 have an OBP of 370 to 400 and hit 40 to 50 home runs a year. Yeah. He's not a guy where I'm like, hmm, you know, the, the new ball might really affect. No, that ball's yeah. getting sent out of every park yeah. every time he really connects with it. But again, is he going to play? 
But apparently, both him and Judge, they say, like, this is, I, I hate this, but this is the best they've ever yeah. felt. The best they've felt <laughs> in a few years and everything. And, you know, you can, when you watch them play, they are moving around, like, a little bit better. They're a little bit faster, a little bit looser. Uh, but it's so tough. It's tough, man. I, I, like, if you're telling me you're taking Aaron Judge in the 50s, I could understand it because in his like actual prime of talent, if he plays a full season, he's a top 10 guy. Like there's just no question. He's a 40 home run, high average, high OVP, great slugging, lots of RBIs, lots of runs. Like he fills up every category you could possibly want. Right. Stanton, you know, the DH, he, for, I guess some leagues, he might have multiple position variability, but I don't, I don't see why he didn't, he didn't play the outfield. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah, didn't play the outfield, but so you know the DH thing hurts. Um, but yeah, I, Stanton's even tougher. Judge, if you're telling me you're taking in the forty anywhere from like the forty fifth to sixtieth pick, I'm probably telling you that's a good. If you're telling me you're taking Stanton anything above a hundred, I'm telling you don't do that. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in the like the one twenties, one thirties, ah man, it's at that it's point tough. it's hard. It's hard to pass up because it's yep. just like ah. Man, I could get forty home runs out of this spot, though, mm-hmm. and which you can't find very often back there. So exactly, you can't. You can't. You, it's it's tough. I definitely, I don't envy people who are like still debating. You know, there are some people who are like, oh, I haven't drafted Judge and Giancarlo at all, and I get that. Mm-hmm. Like that's perfectly understandable. But for me, the upside is just so high with those guys that I'm yeah. always considering it. Yeah, Judge, I can see because I wrote an article before the last season before COVID. We had a full season coming down the line, um, an ADP debate between Judge and Framel Reyes because they're going about 80 picks apart. But the reason I debated them is because you factor in, you know, X amount of games that Judge has missed in each season. Well, now his stat line is almost the same, if not less, than a normal season of Framel Reyes. So it's interesting. But when doing that research, the production that Judge does when he does play is insane. Like it's the crazy. quality of his just overall offensive stats is just dumb. So if he can put a full season together, he's an MVP. Like there's yeah. no question it. It's nuts. In, in fantasy value, you know, if we talk about home runs and RBIs yeah. and everything, in a hundred games, he usually puts up around twenty five home runs to sixty to seventy RBI. That's crazy. In then in games, real, yeah. you know, if we go by you know, Fangraphs war and baseball reference war, he's like a four or five win player in a hundred games. That is also just crazy to think yeah. about. So judge is much easier to like, if you're telling me you're drafting judge a little bit riskier than yep. Stan, completely understandable. Stanton, if you're telling me you're avoiding him altogether, I get that. Yeah. It's, really, it's interesting. It hurts. it hurts so much. It does. It's tough. It's <laughs> tricky because it's one of those, you know, can backfire on you at any time. So it's a, it's an interesting one to say the least. Uh, Domingo Herman off the field stuff aside, that's yes. a whole nother story. Like, uh, yeah, but he's been very good this spring. We know really? the Yankees are trying to figure out the back end of that rotation. He was a piece of it before all this bad stuff went down. It seems like he probably comes out of this with a spot in the rotation if he does it like one more time out there. Spot, yeah. It's, yeah, it's looking that way. Are we going to dust buy into him in drafts? I think you should. The yeah. thing that's the thing that's stuck that has stuck out to me to, in this spring training is he had a good fastball and a great curveball. Those, you know, that was, those were his primary pitches. His de- changeup was developing. That changeup has finished developing. That thing's nasty. Yeah, it's it's a great pitch now. He's legitimate. Gone from a two pitch with a with three pitch upside to he's a three pitch pitcher with all plus pitches. Yeah. Like 
those it, it he's now I'm watching him pitch it's just nasty he can yeah. come at you with he's got good command of the fastball good command of the curveball good command of the changeup and all three of them are good pitches all he can get swings and misses on all of them he can get you to beat it in the ground with all of them it i mean his adp right now is 277 understandably so he didn't pitch yeah. last year and everything there's good questions about the innings was he even going to make the rotation i that adp is going to skyrocket um no, I'm thinking now if you're if you're sitting in like the 170s and 180s, yeah, you and he's not gone by then. Yeah. Then you you got to take him because he's I, I, he's getting that fifth spot and he's he just looks so good in it. However, one feels about him and I completely understand because I feel yeah. that way too. But he's now turned into a three pitch, three plus pitch pitcher, which makes him just so much more valuable. And his command is good. He's not walking guys either. Nope. It's that's the thing that has stuck out too. Is great command. He's got a, the, that changeup has developed into a third pitch, and the the Yankees are going to ride him. They're they're gonna they're gonna pitch him. Yeah, no, it's, it's very intriguing. I think I grabbed him uh, in the Raz Slam here recently when all of a sudden I saw him pitch another good start. I'm like, I'm going to grab him before it gets too late because this seems viable. And I was a Debbie Garcia fan, and there's nowhere for him. I to still go. am. Yeah, there's I, nowhere for him to go, which is which stinks. But yeah, it's. it's there, the worst. It's not even Domingo Herman pitching well. It's Lukage, uh, Lucas Lou. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Lukage. That guy is arguably taking the spot from Debbie because he's mm-hmm. been amazing for the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> he's struck out like sixty percent of the hitters he's faced. Bonkers. That shouldn't be happening. But yeah, I, I told people going in that I would be drafting Debbie over Domingo Herman because I thought Herman was just going to end up in the bullpen because this stuff does translate pretty well to the bullpen and everything. And I thought the Yankees were that confident in Debbie and everything, but uh, Herman's just pitched too good. It's just it, his stuff's too good. Like you, you can't pass. Yep, it's tough. It's very tough. Another guy here, Max Scherzer. He's looked pretty pretty good here in spring. I know it's one of your guys um, last season. He did max things. Like when he was on the mound, he was good. There were some questions with injuries from time to time, but he got it done. He's getting older. There's like a few more question marks than usual going into a season. How do you uh, think he's like, how do you approach him going into 2021? That's a good question. Uh, I saw some people were like keeping him out of their top tens, uh, you know, dynasty I get, but like single season top tens. Yeah. And I think there was this Max Scherzer was still good last year. Like he was still a good pitcher last year. And the thing that was so interesting to me when I wrote that article was his command was noticeably worse than it ever was before. But again, it could have been the the start and, you know, the stop and start, right. That could have affected him to, could have taken him a little while to get going. But in this, the, the velocity was still there. It, it didn't really tick down. The velocity is there again in spring. He hit 98 the other day. That's a good sign. The spin's still there. The stuff's still moving the same. There's no real signs of age. It's just, oh, he's 36. He had a worse season. It's finally coming because age catches everybody, which is true. It does. It, it will catch him eventually. But there's nothing really that points me to a sign of, like, he's going to have this massive regression. Yeah. I still say you should be taking him within your first top 10 pitchers because that stuff, it's the stuff is still good, and it's still Max Scherzer. Until he goes out and struggles... We should give him the benefit of the doubt. He, he is one of the best pitchers of this generation. And again, it's not like the velocity's gone. It's one thing if the velocity's gone. No, it's still there. The stuff's still spinning. The stuff's still moving. He's his command has been better in the spring, and he leads, I believe, spring training and strikeouts right now. 
at least he did when I checked two days ago. I don't know if he still is today. You know, stats change every day. But so that's a good sign that, you know, this guy who everyone's like, yeah, you know, we should probably start fading him. No, like he's, he's kind of sitting there saying, no, I still got it. Like I'm still Max Scherzer. Yeah, he's uh, like last season, people saw the war home runs. He got hit around a little more from time to time, but he's still had a 30 plus percent strikeout rate for the sixth straight season. Like he's doing like he walked a few more. So like I said, the, the command, the control, whatever you want to say was a little off. I think one of the biggest things I've said it with a few of the national pitchers because uh, Corbin, you know, the velocity's down, but he had some similar fates that Scherzer had uh, doing DFS. I, I, I watch innings by innings a lot closer from time to time. And it seemed like Dave Martinez likes to leave his guys out there a little too long. He does. And and I, I get it. I'd be scared to tell Max Scherzer you're coming out in the middle of the inning too. I get it because he looks at you and tells you no. But there's a point where you're the manager where you have to do these things because there was a lot of starts. I I haven't looked like per se, but there were there, a I lot remember a lot of starts where it's like, okay, they threw him out in the seventh, two walks and a home run, and now all of a sudden his whole thing's gone. It's yeah, like – there are a lot of outings where he got roughed up late. Where you're like, it's it's in like pitch ninety eight. Well, there was some. It was after a hundred. There's yeah, some after a hundred. It's like, okay, I know he's Max Scherzer, but let's just cool this. For you, you actually have a good bullpen right now. Why don't you go use that? Yeah, <laughs> I wrote an article about Tanner Rainey. Yeah, who I thought was going to be their closer, but they signed Brad Hand, and then Tanner Rainey went. Yeah, and that I was disappointed sad, me I really too. Like Tanner Rainey. <laughs> yep, but, I'm with you. Yeah, I was like, man, it's the seventh inning. Tanner yep. Rainey's right there. Just. Go get him. Like, go, go, go signal to the pen. Go bring him out. Yeah, there were several, you know, I don't want to speak ill will of the guy because he was very nice, but there were several times where I was like, Dave, but, but, what are, what are we doing here? Corbin's different because, again, the velocity decreased. Yeah, the stuff didn't move as well. Definitely. He was just getting hit around. Right. Mm-hmm. That's different. But with sure, sure That's true, everything, yeah. like, peripheral wise, outside of the command, was still the same. Yep. 100%. It just, it just looked like Dave was leaving him in for too long. And again, as he said, I get it. He's a very scary guy when he's yeah, out there on the mound. I'm not messing with him either. <laughs> but like at some point, yeah, gotta you got to look out for the team here and just be like, you know what? We'll talk about this later. <laughs> it's just it's yep. the way it's going to go. Yep. Uh, let's talk about a few more spring training standouts right now. Obviously, you said it earlier, and I say it all the time. You treat spring training with a grain of salt. But at the same time, there's some things we can kind of garner out of it and, and take take a little positivity out of it or negativity. depends on how you look at things. And one I wanted to mention is Joey Gallo. Um, oh, obviously, yeah. a, a rough rough season last year. Um, I, for, I Forgive me, picture list people. I forget who wrote the article for you guys, but did an amazing job breaking down the yeah, swing, changes, swing changes he made, the way pitchers approached him differently, and that's what kind of lowered his overall production. But when you deep dive into his production – like the stat cast metrics are still pretty good, like pretty good for yeah. Joey Gallo. So it's like a, a slight tweak. And he seems to, given, might be lesser pitching in spring training, but the dude's hitting 400. He's eight for 20. He has five home runs. He has seven extra base hits out of his eight extra base, out of his eight total hits. And another thing I love to see out of Joey Gallo, six strikeouts out of his 12 outs. That's fine. That's Joey Gallo, but six walks also. So yep. his plate discipline is like, I almost like the six walks more than the five home runs personally. Like, that gets me very excited to see. So are you buying in on Joey Gallo? Because before spring, before the start, like January, February drafts, it was still a mixed bag for a lot of people. But now they're seeing this, and it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, I'm all over Joey Gallo. All, 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 all in. That's, uh, his his ADP right now is sitting at one. Uh, what was that 132. Take him way higher than that. Way, way higher than that. That guy was destined to break out. I don't care what happened in 2020. That dude 
if he makes contact, it is getting sent yep. everywhere. I mean, he just hits the ball. He's got not not John Garlow because nobody is, but he's the next closest thing. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, he just rockets the ball. So I'm all over Gallo. Take him 30 picks before his ADP, 40 picks before his ADP. I don't care. That's all fine to me. He is 100% worth it. Yep, and I think he hits like 240 to 250, and if he does that, you're golden. It's when he hits like yeah. 200 or 210, you're kind of like, eh. But yeah. 240 to 250, you can live with that when the dude hits 45 to 50. Runs. It's, and, it's, it's 240 to 250 with a 370, yep. 380 on base percentage and a 500 slugging, and yep. he's going he's gonna to hit second or third in that lineup, so he's going to have a ton of runs and a ton of RBI. Yep. And then when he gets traded to somewhere else, Hopefully not Tampa Bay because that would just be broken. But there are rumors of that, and that makes that'd me be, mad. That'd be but, interesting for sure. <laughs> he would destroy. How many Tampa times? Bay. How many times does he hit the catwalk? That's uh, all I want to know. The better question is when he hits goes into other AL East parks. Is there any? Oh, can you imagine him in Yankee Stadium for um, a four game series or something? He would destroy. Actually, the actually the, the the fun stat you know like in San Francisco they have the McCovey Cove like splash landings yep. meter that goes. If Gallo goes and plays in Tampa, have a meter for how many times he has the back wall in right field on the oh, fly. Because like, it's only like so many feet of bleachers, and there's just that wall. Like, how many times does he just pepper the wall? Yeah, I, that's a good one. I'm all over Joey Gallo. Yeah. His I'm ADP is way too low. Way yeah, too low. Joey Gallo in the AL East. You know, now I was talking about Camden. Like, there's just, ah, that's, that's, just, that's fun. That's fun right he there. It would be really fun to watch in the AL East. Yep. It would be terrible for baseball if he goes to the AL East just because yes. if he goes to Tampa Bay I should say because he'll then he'll get do, you know dumped somewhere else in two yeah. years and complete the cycle but god it'd be fun for a little while it would be fun for a little while yeah let's talk about Jock Jams Jock Peterson went and signed oh, with yeah. the with the Chicago Cubs which was kind of funny because like Schwarber goes to the Nats and they go and sign Peterson and it's like okay it's that whole Spider-Man meme for a second there the but Jock's never really had the chance to hit lefties and so far this spring, they're letting him face lefties. So he's facing everybody, and he's 12 for four, uh, 24, hitting 500. He's got five home runs. He's got four walks even, which is great. Uh, so he looks awesome. It is spring training. Like I don't expect Jock Peterson to hit even over 300, let alone 500. But uh, are you liking what you're seeing? Are you buying in on this Jock Peterson? Because he's very cheap in drafts right now. Yeah, I mean, his, his ADP is 281. So, yeah, I, at that price, I'm all over him. Like, I don't know how, like – many lefties he'll actually get to face but at, at a 280 ADP there uh, that's arguably one of the biggest steals in all of drafts is Jock Peterson that low yeah um, he's, he's a pretty good one but I'll, I will say one thing before you finish is um he said he signed with the Cubs over other teams because they said he could face lefties yeah that part concerns me actually yes. that's the part I was about to get to was he's not this good against lefties no. like no it, there's a listen despite what we might say about the platooning and everything, there's a reason that the Dodgers do it. There's also a reason that they're the smartest organization in baseball, maybe outside of Tampa Bay. Maybe they are smarter than Tampa Bay. Who knows? They just beat them in the World Series. Uh, There's a reason that Jock Peterson didn't face lefties. Mm -hmm. Listen, if he could go out and hit lefties, I'll eat the crow, I'll chew the crow, I'll do whatever. Like I will bite my tongue, eat my words. But he's got to prove it. Listen, if he hits 240... He'll hit, he's got 30 to 40 home run power. Everyone knows that. And he's going to get, this is the first year he's probably going to be able to get 
500 to 600 plate appearances because the Cubs, they don't really have anybody else to play, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just don't. So he'll play, which is good for his 80, you know, for, good for his value. He's not this good against lefties. I think you're right. If he hits 240, 250, that'll be a monster year for Jack yeah. Peterson. No doubt about it. Uh, question for you here. You mentioned the ADP of Peterson. You know, Schwarber's going a good chunk higher than him. But again, similar players. Who do you think finishes with a better fantasy season? Oh, that's mean. I don't, I don't like that question. because I'm mean. a Schwarber guy, too. Trust me. I love Schwarber. I, I, but I they're really just, like Schwarber, too. It's just one of those is, things If just somehow Jock just slightly figures out lefties. Just slightly. It gets interesting. What's funny is they're also the same age. Yeah, it's, and that's, that's, why, that's I, why they're the Spider-Man meme. Like they are yeah, literally I don't the know why thing. I thought Schwarber was so much older. Maybe it's because like he was drafted out of college and Peterson's well, been. He looks league. like a rugged guy that's just been in, you know. <laughs> yeah, he looks but, Peterson's yeah, both, baby-faced. <laughs> yeah, they're both 28. Did not know that. Um, <sighs> better fantasy season. I am a sh- uh, partial to Schwarber because I've loved him for years. Mm-hmm. And I always thought he would end up with the Yankees just because that swing it is made like too much destined, sense. <laughs> destined for that park. But they yep. Yankees, they don't seem to care about lefty righty as much as they used to. Um, I'm gonna live bold and I'm gonna go with Jock because yep. I I think Schwarber is what he is. You know, he's not he's a two thirty to two forty guy. I don't think he's worse than that. I don't think he's better than that. His his OBP is obviously very good because he's got great play discipline and he'll hit the, you know, he'll hit 30 home runs, the 30 to 30 to 35 home runs. Right. I think that's what he is. I don't think he does better than that. Peterson's got a little bit more upside, so I'm going to go with Peterson, but it's close. It's so they're, as you said, they're basically the same player. Yep. It's very, very tricky. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck is a guy that I just refuse to draft, but it's like harder and harder not to draft him now. Because I, I I said it the other day, the baseball baseball game has turned into a three true outcome sport. Bobby Dahlbeck yeah. is a two true outcome sport. Like it's a strikeout <laughs> or a home run with him, and it's like the dude. He, they don't have his updated stats from today. He hit he went one for one with a grand slam today. So so basically he's nine for twenty seven now with five home runs. Um, but he also has thirteen strikeouts in his. Um, let's do the quick math there. That eighteen outs, thirteen of them are strikeouts. So. It's his swing and miss is just insane when you go and look at the stats. But if he's hitting all these home runs, it's hard to say no. I ref, I, I just haven't been able to do it. But are you believing in Bobby Dahlbeck being like this guy, or what do you expect from him? I will give you my bias opinion because he went to U of A, and that is my school. I'm an mm-hmm. alumni there, so I'm extremely biased and say buy Bobby Dahlbeck. My professional <laughs> analyst position is do not buy Bobby Dahlbeck because the home runs stop coming at some point. Yep. And the swing and misses, strikeouts are not as important as they used to be, right? They don't define yep. hitters. But with young players, they are still important because swing and miss is still very translatable. He's got pretty good discipline in terms of like he walks a decent amount. He's He's very similar to a young Joey Gallo. Like they're very similar in terms of their like approach and everything um, and their metrics. But Dobbick's clearly got a ton of pop, way more than we anticipated, like way more. Um, And that's great. You know, obviously for my personal biases and everything that that's great. But I would not, I would not be drafting Bobby Dobbick. I'm concerned about the swing and miss and it's not, it's, you know, 
like as you said, 13 of his 18 outs are strikeouts. It's not like he's also walking 12 to 15% of the time too. You know, it's not like we're talking about like an Aaron judge or Joey Gallo, as we said, or, you know, other Reese Hoskins is another guy, right? It's not like that. He strikes out and then walks enough, but not to the rate of like, you're willing to live with the low average because the OBP is still pretty good with the power. There's concerns about the average being there. It's tough. It's tough. He has four walks this spring. So yeah, that's my biggest thing. The the average is going to be tough to come back. I could see him being, you know, very, very good. Very, very good. Or I could see him being like Adam Dunn before he retired. It's it's, yeah. it's it's a weird spectrum that scares me. So. If he if he were more if he had better plate discipline, I'm not talking about like more, an improvement in the strikeouts. If the strikeouts were the strikeouts, right? But he yeah. had more. If he had let's say seven walks, right, or something like that. I'd be a little bit like more bullish and say, yeah, okay, he's more like Joey Gallo, so it's it's worth yeah. it. But no, it's not there, so it's yeah. it's harder for me to buy into it. Yep, it's tricky. Very tricky. Shohei Otani. Um, health has always been a concern with him, but when he's healthy, we know how good he is, and he's showing it this spring. Just, you know, four home runs, one of them off some pitcher named Shane Bieber. And it was it was that a bomb. He's a blue shot, too. Uh, absolute bomb. He's 11 for 19 this spring, hitting wise. Not to mention he's, you know, hitting triple digits on the radar gun. Uh, what are you do? What are you doing with, with Shohei Otani right now in drafts? Because he's so good, but there's part of me is like, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, I mean he's tough. It's he's really tough. His his ADP is one seventy two. I mean it's obviously like if he were healthy, it wouldn't be one seventy two. It'd be one because you're not gonna get four hundred fifty plate appearances with twenty to you know twenty five home runs to thirty home runs power and then one hundred and thirty innings from the same guy, right? Like yeah, he'd be going pretty, number pretty one awesome. in every fantasy draft. But he's not healthy. He's never proven to do it over a full season. Um, it's tough. He looks so good, though. It like he looks. I'm a big believer in that sample size is needed and everything in spring training, right? And it's this is a ridiculously small sample size. But he looks so in tune with his swing. The toe tap looks good. His mechanics on the mound look good. The stuff is moving. The velocity is there. And then the power is there at the plate. And it's just like, oh, you're doing all the things I want you to do to make me believe. But I still don't believe because of your injury history. I think if you're willing to go with a late, you know, a mid to late pick on Shohei Otani, I would do it. I think he's one of the, when we talk, we talk a lot about like risk averse and how risk averse are you. He's one of those guys where it doesn't really matter how risk averse you are. At the right value, you need to take him. Yeah. You need to do it. And his ADP is sort of that right value. Like that's a good that's a good spot to be taking him. Yeah, if you're if you're in a daily league where you can use him at both positions, he becomes much more valuable. If there's a, if it's a league where you have to decide if he's a hitter or a pitcher, that changes things. If it's a weekly league, it really changes things. So format dictates a lot of it. But man, if we knew he was healthy and you had like a daily moves league, like you said, he's like the top pick. You just like yeah. he's he's that he's that good. It's just are we going to get that? And that's a question. Um, last guy I want to ask you about here is Bobby Witt Jr., the oh. top pick for the Royals a couple years ago. Um, so looks very very good. I did not think he'd be this good already. I didn't think he'd have even a conversation about being up this year. But he's hitting everything and hitting it very very hard and very very far. Um, I still don't think he starts out the season with a team. 
but what's your kind of expectations? Because some people are starting to draft him right now, which I think is an interesting decision. I would not draft him. No. Because ultimately, what? Outside of the Mets going with Pete Alonso, when was the last time a team like had their top prospects start the year with them? The Mariners only the, might do only it. The, only Jeff. the White Sox when they sign them to a deal. That's the only oh, time it happens. Yeah, yeah. that's the only time it happens, though. They got to sign them to uh, a deal. The Mariners might do it with Jared, you know, Kalanick just because they have I feel to. like they have to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I would not draft be drafting Bobby Witt Jr. And that's not because of his play. That's just because of the way baseball works. Right. He hasn't done anything to make me not want to draft him. He's done everything that makes me say, this is a guy is going to be a great baseball player. I already believed in him a lot when they drafted him. with like Bobby Witt Jr. is going to be really good. You know, that's a great pick. It, it it's baseball. It's still like, this is where baseball and the way it operates matters. The likelihood he makes the team is still relatively low. If he ends up, if they announce like he's going to make the team an opening day, if you still haven't done your draft by then yeah. weird, uh, but you know, <laughs> on the waiver wires and stuff on the free agent markets, then go get him. Yeah, definitely. Right. But like, don't, don't draft him. I don't think it's worth it. Cause he'll be there. You know, people, if you're, especially if you're doing one year stuff, like, He's going to be there. People aren't going to draft him. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you there. So it's going to be interesting because I've seen people draft him, like I said, and he's good. I just expected it like another year from now. Maybe maybe see him in September and then get a chance, but you might we'll see. see him in like if if like he's absolutely mashing. You might see him in like yeah. June or July, right? Just if he's yeah. like on an absolute tear or something and they just can't deny it. But yeah, I agree. I. I thought he was a year away, maybe two mm-hmm. years away coming into this. Yeah. You know, again, he was drafted. Yeah, he hasn't even played past rookie ball yet. Like, yeah, he hasn't, like, like it's tough. There's progressions. <laughs> development is not linear. Yeah. So this, it, it's tough. I don't draft him, though. I would yeah. not be. He's not Ken Griffey Jr., where he just goes straight to the bigs. It just, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't, doesn't happen like that anymore. No. Nor should right. it. No, it shouldn't. They need. They, there's something to be said about getting them at bats. So just don't cancel all the minor league teams, and we'll get to actually get these kids through some training. Like that's. Let's talk about that. But that's again another podcast for another time. Um, let's get some listener questions here. Simon P, regular listener of the show, uh, he has a couple questions. First, is Clark Schmidt worth drafting in a best ball format? No, <laughs> probably not. Granted, I don't even know if he's. I was all over Schmidt. I thought he was Yankees' best prospect going into last year. This year, I would st- I still believed it. I-, I I think he's got just the stuff is nasty, um, and the combination of his two seamer with his slider and everything. I, th- I you know I, l- I like that combo, and I'm not normally a guy who likes sinker two seamers, but you know his moves a lot, so that makes me like it. Uh, but you know the elbow stuff that's concerning. It's not Tommy John related, which is good, but yeah. you know he's not going to be ready to go in a in a minor league game until late May, early June, right? Then by then, you know, late May, early June, it's going to be another two or three weeks until he'd be ready to go in a big league game. And by then, just like, you could could get him on the the free agent market if need be or anything. Yeah, don't draft him. Uh, I love the guy, but not worth it. Um, And then he has, he has the joke. So uh, should he buy Greg Bird for $1 in his 12-team NL only league? (sighs) I love Greg Bird. That swing makes me so depressed because it's so <laughs> lovely to look at. But 
eh, what the heck? Why? Why not? He's gonna play, yep. right? He's, he's, he, the Rockies don't have anybody better to play first base. And oh, CJ Crone, be nice. CJ Crone's there. Be nice. Oh, is he there? That's yeah. right. Yeah, oh, man. The Rockies make so many moves that I can like from like that did nothing. So yeah. I completely forget about. Yeah, they'll. Yeah, it's eh, for a buck. For a buck, for it's a buck, interesting. Why not? It'd be interesting. <laughs> Um, another question he has here. Why are the Marlins being dismissed as a bad team? Didn't they just make the playoffs in a short season? Having one of the better and quickly improving rotations in the game and boast a system brimming with talent. Lots of people sleeping on them. Do you like the Marlins this year? I don't, but that's not because they're, they're a bad team. I, I yeah. like them a lot. I think they're a good team. Like in two years, there's a real chance that they're the team that's going to be winning the NL East. Mm-hmm. That's how much I believe in them, especially with Sandy Alcantara really taking the taking a turn it looks like and that's with Sixto hype and everything their offense leaves a lot to be desired and the good news is a lot of their prospects are offensive prospects and everything and they're starting to turn into cleveland where they're able to churn out pitching like it's nothing but let's look at the rest of the division yep the nationals improved no how much did they improve don't know but they improved yeah the you know atlanta is still a solid team you know they didn't upgrade their bullpen, which is concerning, but there's st- that lineup is still devastating. And I really like that rotation. The Mets obviously got immensely better. You know, they're arguably one of the favorites in that division, if not the favorite in that division. And the Phillies stayed roughly the same, right? The Marlins were lucky last year because they were carried by a really good pitching staff. Over a 162, that offense is not going to be able to do you know, get away with what they did in a 60 game season. I don't think the Marlins are a bad team. I just think that their offense needs a lot of help and over a full 162, we're not going to be able to wash away those issues yep. as easily as we did in a 60 game season. That's my tricky part too. It's like a short season. You can get, you can run hot and make things happen. A lot of uh, holes to, to do there. It makes it tough. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, let me mention AJ at AJ Patel eight says Jordan Montgomery. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, as I said earlier, that's a guy who I went into the offseason. I said everyone's sleeping on this guy. He's gonna be good, and he's been fantastic this spring. He's pitched all. I think today he went five innings, didn't give up a hit, walked one, struck out four. That's what he's gonna do. He's gonna have a walk rate around five to six percent, strikeout rate. And it's the 21 to 25%, and he's going to get you a lot of ground balls, and he's going to work five to six quality innings. And yep. for the Yankees with their bullpen, that's all they need. He's, that's a guy that you should be drafting. Yep, big fan as well. Uh, at Rob Wedig asks, how do you stay patient during a draft and just let the draft come to you? He finds himself reaching for guys that he likes earlier than I probably have to. It's a tough question. It it's always tough. is. It all, the, the biggest thing is, do you know who you're drafting against? If you yeah. know the people that you're drafting against, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But if you're just in like a random league, yeah, the temptation is hard because you have no idea what they're thinking, right? So let's say, you know, let's just go with the last example with uh, Jordan Montgomery. His ADP, as I pull it up quickly here, because I don't remember. It, his ADP is 247. Mm-hmm. That's really low for me. Like He should be going much higher than that. But if you're like all in on Jordan Montgomery and it's like pick 195, right? 50 picks in front of his ADP. It's hard to justify taking anybody 50 picks in front of their ADP unless their name is Shohei Otani, which we already talked about, right? Uh, So 
if you're like starting to get nervous, right? Most people are probably going to wait. You could wait another 15 to 20 picks on a guy like Jordan Montgomery, but you don't want to wait too long because other people are going to notice, you know, there's been a lot of content about certain guys and everything. So if you're like really hankering for certain guys and you're within 20 picks either way of their ADP, I think you can go ahead and take them. You might be a little bullish sometimes. That's okay. But if you're really all in on your guys, get your guys. Don't be don't be jumping the gun. Like I said, if you're taking a guy 50 picks before, you know, where he should be, that's a that's a it's a bad move. But you know, definitely like if you're again, if you're at pick 136 and you're this guy you really like is ADP 153, take him. Yeah. Take him. Because somebody yeah. else is probably thinking the same thing as you are. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is don't go super, super early, but don't be afraid to go a round or two early. I've always, I've always said yeah. that if it's a guy you truly believe in, then he should be going higher than that. Um, I've heard different people talk about it in different ways, but it kind of right, – there's no way to, I guess, teach you how to have feel in a draft because I, I don't always have feel in a draft. Like things happen, curveballs get thrown at you, and you get kind of wacky, and it gets goofy, but you just kind of stick to your the guys you like, your list, whatever you want to call it. And um, it, it gets interesting, but you can definitely reach for your guys. It's one reason why I say – Sometimes I like drafting on the ends of the draft because it makes me have to go get my guys, knowing I won't have like, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 picks till I get to go again. So I have to go get them. And then I can kind of like, okay, well, I had to do it. So I feel better about it. <laughs> and and, yeah. and that, that's just one way to go about it. So there's really no rhyme or reason, Rob, but uh, it's more of a like, like Max was saying, don't go like 50 picks early. But if you want to go, you know, 20 ish picks early or 25 picks early or whatever, there's definitely some, some viability to that. Yeah. yeah. Like they're, they're- the the general thought process I have is get your guys. Yep. Don't be bullish, but like get your guys. Exactly. Uh, at beat Rick and Frank JB asks Leody Tavares stat line for the season. Yeah, when he asked that, I was like, that's a random question. Tavares has a lot of speed, uh, uh, um, high defensive upside because of the speed. Um, the hard hit rate and the exit velocity was kind of interesting. That stuck out to me I, when I was. Did a quick glance at him. Uh, the plate discipline leaves a little bit to be lacking. Not a lot of power upside. Uh, you know, I think if he can turn into a 260 hitter, 270 hitter who can steal 20 to 30 bags, right? Then he, you know, he's immensely valuable. I don't know if he can do that. I don't know how good his hit tool really is. But the hard hit rate and the exit velocity make me second guess that a little bit. But... If I had to guess, he's probably somewhere in the 245 to, you know, 245, 320, 410 range. Yeah, that's what makes sense right now. Like, he's supposed to lead off for the Rangers, which would lead to a lot of stolen bases and run scored possibilities, which would be great. But he's, he's having such a – yeah, he's having a bad spring also. So they're debating like, moving him down the order to start the year, and that just kind of takes more value away from him. In a perfect world, he's got like, you know, 12 ish home run power, like you said, 25 plus, 30 plus stolen bases in a perfect world. But uh, it's tricky right now because his production this spring is, looks like it might hold him back a little bit. And so. it just, it wasn't there last year either. No. Like, it just, and he's, he's a young prospect, so that it could develop, but it, he hasn't shown it yet. It's been, yeah, it, it's been tough. If you're, if you're taking him as like your sort of like prospect breakout, I would look into other guys. 
That would be my advice. Basically, when when he's drafted, it's more your desperation. I want stolen bases, guy. That's what it turns into. If you're if you're looking at Mateen and you're sort of realizing that you got a lot of you know all of a sudden your your catchers Yasmani Grandal, your first baseman's Reese Hoskins, your your second baseman is DJ LeMahieu, your your, you know, your third yeah. baseman is, is uh, Gio Urshela, and you're like, man. I don't got a lot of speed on my roster. Yeah. That's the kind of guy you take. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. That's that's how it's been going so far. Um, at Dan Mullet asks, join the league that is OPS instead of average. Who gets a bump and who is downgraded using OPS? Uh, gets a bump is obviously Joey Gallo. Gets yes. a massive bump. Massive bump. Massive bump if he goes up. Uh, batting average hit. <laughs> yeah. Batting average hit. Tim Anderson takes a bit of a hit. Yep. Because he he don't walk. <laughs> that man that man is allergic to walks. Uh yep. and that hurts. Uh and you know his power is, you know, 15 to 20 home runs, which is good. But you know if you're in an OPS league, there's so many other shortstops you can yep. get that are just so much more valuable. He's a great fantasy shortstop because he hits presumably if he does it again, you know there's still some you know not entirely sure he's actually that good of a contact guy, but we'll see. I think he is, but you know, I understand why people are uh, not sure. Uh, but he's, you know, a three ten hitter who has an OPS around, you know, eight thirty, eight forty because he walks. I think in twenty nineteen he wa- had like eight walks on the year. That's yeah. bad. <laughs> Very bad. And so in an OPS league, he takes a large tumble. Yeah, no, basically the way I would tell him to go look at it, you can obviously just go look up OPS, but go search guys that just OBP and you'll see a big difference. Like at each position, um, you know, like Reese Hoskins, Carlos Santana, all of a sudden get massive boost at first base. Uh, you can just, you can do that position by position and you'll see that all of a sudden some positions might be deeper. Like catcher, for instance, there's a lot of like 320, 330 OBP guys out there at catcher that have horrible batting averages. Omar Nevaez has a 330 to 340 OBP every year. I know we're talking OPS, but like it's a whole different world of how you want to draft guys, something to think about. As I, I go that realm, you, you can get a lot more value at certain positions that you didn't have before. Kevin Biggio also becomes yep. now he be, yeah, he becomes more. he becomes relevant. Now I will not touch him in his ADP in a regular average league, but an OPP, you got a discussion. Yep. Uh last question came in while we were recording. Sean at Sean9498 <laughs> says, just say I love Danilis and Lamette. He'll know what it means. Yes, I love Danilis and Lamette. Sean is one of the, I. Uh, so when I was working on Sports Info Solutions, I watched Danilis and Lamette's first start, and I was completely flabbergasted by the fact the catcher was putting down a two sign and then a three sign, but it looked like the same pitch. And then not even two weeks later, Ben Clemens wrote an article on Fangraphs about how Danilis and Lamette throws two different sliders. And I was like, aha, oh. I was right. <laughs> he does yeah. throw two different sliders. Uh and then I was all over Denial and the Met. I kept telling people, I was like, you need to draft this guy. He throws 98. His slider is disgusting. I think it will be the most singular, most valuable pitch in baseball in 2020. I was right. If you go by uh, Baseball Savant's uh, run value metric, it was the most valuable pitch in baseball. Negative 19 runs. It led baseball last year. Wow. The problem is he throws it a lot, yep. which leads to he already had Tommy John. He apparently is doing okay. They're working him back slow. He's throwing sliders. Don't draft him high. Maybe don't draft him at all. But there's a possibility he, like, he'll start the year probably on the IL. I would assume. If he doesn't, he's not gonna he's not gonna be anything more than two to three innings at a time. 
but I would be shocked if he starts the team on the roster uh, and doesn't have Tommy John. But it hurts because I love the guy. I was all over him. His stuff is obviously disgusting. Just he throws a slider a lot and he throws it hard and that those those guys get Tommy John. I see you you brought it all back for me there because uh, there's some people I, I I know like coaching Nash Doug Ishikawa who is in love with the Nelson Lament. And I've talked to him on a show and I said, you gotta you gotta calm down because uh, he's still all in this year. And I'm like, A, his arm's barely hanging on. So let's let's talk about that for a second. And B, his other pitches are great. I'd love to see a third pitch. Because uh, then obviously he's not using his slider as much, and that I think it makes the slider even more dangerous. The change up needs it. to develop. Yeah, if he can do that, I will be all in on Danelis Lamette. Like yeah. go, f- go fix his arm, and go get a third pitch. Then we can have the. Co- then I'm he's, then I'm joining the party. Yeah, I mean he's a two pitch pitcher, and he was one of the best pitchers in baseball last yeah. year. Um, if he develops a third pitch, the the ceiling is yep. Cy Young. One hundred percent agree. But, yeah, like, it's terrifying. He has has an immense ceiling. Problem is, got to figure out who's healthy. He's got to develop the third pitch because if he's yeah. healthy and has the third pitch, uh, we're going to be that yeah. San Diego rotation gets immensely better. Which is hard to believe that it can get better. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but then wow. is already, yeah. But uh, on that note, on Danellis and Lamette Love Time, oh, we're going to wrap God. things up. Uh, go ahead and plug where the guy, everyone can find you. What you got coming up? All that good stuff. Yeah, so it's at Greenfield Max eighteen on Twitter. Look out for Mike Labrador's article on Friday where I discuss more so his future at shortstop and his offensive profile. We do go over the defense. I'm sorry, Yankee fans, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, <laughs> but that's what I got coming out. The season is coming up soon, which means I can stop scraping for content, yeah. figuring out what to say. Uh, but yeah, that's. Follow my stuff at Pitcher List. Just follow the wonderful people at Pitcher List, to yep. be honest. Nick Pollock, Alex Fast, all of them, wonderful people. Uh, so happy to be a part of that community. So happy to be part of the fantasy baseball community. Sometimes people listen to what I have to say. I'm going to be wrong a lot. I'm going to just let yep. you know that now. But, like, I'll hit occasionally. So hopefully yep. that matters. We all, we all will be wrong a lot. That's just how it goes. I can't remember. Someone said it best. Like, if we're right 30, 30 to 35% of the time, we're like Ichiro, so like that yeah. should be pretty good, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm with you there. Everybody, go check out Max's stuff over at PitcherList. Uh, great, as he mentioned, great people, great side. Nick and Alex have become quite nice friends of mine, so I love everything that going on over there. Uh, and Max, thanks for joining me, man. Really appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks for having me. A lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. We'll do it again sometime. But everybody, this was Ben with Bubba, episode 353 with Max Greenfield of PitcherList. Catch you guys later.